Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We're in a series in the book of Colossians, week three to be exact of a six-week series. Um, On the screen you'll see behind me there's a two-week devotional that if you have not yet done it, I cannot recommend it more highly. It's on our Life Changes app. If you are wanting some handles on how to read the Bible, it's a great place to start. You go download the app, you go to our reading plans, and why don't you make it your way through Colossians there. It's up there now, a two-week devotional that you can work through the scriptures with us. So if you haven't done that yet, I want to urge you to do that. But what we're doing in this book, we're looking at a four chapter book. If you're unaware, it's a New Testament letter written by a man named Paul who was in a prison cell when he wrote this letter. He was not sitting at a nice mahogany desk. He did not have a fountain pen. He was not at the end of a a nice spiritual retreat and spa. No, he wrote it from with cold, hard floors, uh, with uh, uh, probably limited meals a day, with uh, quite uh, um, egotistical and aggressive Roman gods. He's writing this letter, not in ideal circumstances, but he writes this letter, this profound letter to a church in a city that is very similar to what I would imagine Cape Town to be, give or take 2,000 years. So probably just minus the internet and, uh, and memes. But on top of that, It's a city very similar to what I believe we face in terms of spiritual climates here in Cape Town. That's why this letter is relevant to us, because I believe, if you know, I I can often see this in my heart as well, but it is in the pervasive culture of the day. People are saying things like this. People are not that offended about Jesus anymore. It's not, it's, he's not as polarizing as a figure sometimes that he might have once have been, but people, the general, maybe he is in different spaces that you engage with, but I think the general malaise of, of culture is that Jesus is great, but there are a lot of other places we can find our significance, identity, purpose, and meaning from as well. People have okay that Jesus is all right for you, but and even Christianity has put him in a buffet line of other options where you can find success and meaning and identity and joy. And if, and if Jesus can be a part of that, that's great. But the writer to Colossians is he's writing to this type of heresy that is trying to add extra elements to faith mystical elements that actually Jesus is great, but what about a little bit of angel worship? What about a little bit of super spirituality? Because that would really make this thing a lot more, it'll pop a little bit better. Or on the other side, what about a bit of asceticism? What about a little bit of self-denial and, and then people, and moral, moralism? So people will look at you and go, wow, you're very spiritually mature. What about those things just to add to your faith? And Paul's writing this letter, not in a sense, what he does, the whole four chapter letter, he doesn't spend hours and hours or, or verses upon verse warning of the external dangers, he spends the majority of his time, the majority of his ink that he's writing and the letter being sent by a man named Epaphras to this church, he spends the majority of his time lifting up Jesus, the cure, the remedy, the solution of it all. And I think too often churches are, are, they're involved in too many, uh, what's it, civilian affairs, pointing out the dangers that are lurking around every corner. Be careful around that bush. Be careful of this new trend. Be careful that, and actually as I read scripture, the way that they deal with heresy that enters not just the church, but even my own heart, is lifting up the solution. And that's what we're trying to do this series, is lift up Christ as high as we can, because actually I, I believe that you can be around Jesus and still not know him. And I think that's, it's, it, there'll be, it'll be the shame of all shames if Jesus came back and he said to his church, and he said, we, like, we recognize you, but we never knew you. 
And I want to say this morning, what we're wanting to do is we, I'm wanting you to see Jesus with me. I want you to savor him. And in response to seeing and savoring his beauty and his majesty, I want us to serve him from that place. So all right, we're going to read scripture this morning. Colossians chapter 1, we get to the scripture, the text that our, our, our good friend Scott read earlier. We're going to unpack it a little bit this morning. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 23. Just to, a quick disclaimer, I am severely doped up on medication, so who knows what will come out this morning. So um, if, I, if I start saying some obscure things, just, just give that a miss and just keep going with what is scriptural. Okay, just giving the disclaimer. Who knows what will come out? Buckle yourself in. This could be fun. Anyway, and on another note, my daughter this morning, she gets up and she says, to, she says Daddy, you're going to preach. And I said, yes, I'm going to preach. She says, Daddy's so funny. <laughs> so, which is, uh, uh, I really love that. You know, just it's really, uh, when you're feeling at a low, it's good to have children who are going to just say, Daddy, you're so funny. So um, if you would please humor me and laugh at my jokes as I, as I make my way through the text this morning. But let's read it together. It's on the screen behind me, reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 15, the pinnacle of this whole book. If, if I may, says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. In the, and in the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme of all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you, who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his, holy, his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment right now where we're able to turn off the distractions from what has come before us in this week. We can silence the voices of, of, of agendas that loom large ahead of us in the week to come. And right now, I thank you that as a people, we can center ourselves in this moment to hear your word preached to our hearts. And would you make Jesus not just an idea, not just an option, but would you make him essential, vital, high above everything else in our lives this morning as we preach. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've just noticed as I was praying and uh, before, uh, as I was reading the scripture, there are just two things that I, I meant to do it, but I forgot. I apologize. Tanaka, lovely to have you here. Our good friend Tanaka, who uh, is from America, visiting us. He's got an accent now. He's uh, quoting Kanye West songs. Yeah, come on, man. I love it. But lovely to have him visiting. And also Colin Chantal, very quickly, I apologize. This, this is their last Sunday. And uh, I, we're sorry, we, I should have done this before we read the scripture. But uh, Colin has got a job uh, up, up, up country. Um, and, uh, and we're going to be really missing you guys. And I, and I really want to just honor you guys. This amazing couple uh, came in here. They found Christ here. They got baptized here. They got, they've got married, not here, but in and amongst this church. And we are so proud of you guys, man. And we are incredibly sad to say goodbye. 
but incredibly thrilled to see what God is doing in your lives and how you respond in obedience. Just, uh, Colin, you're a, you're a phenomenal man. A man, not many people will know here because you've, you've got a few words, but you're an incredibly wise man with a, a, with a big job and, and, and actually you're a man who's, who really processes things so well and with a godly lens. And I just love watching the way you love your wife and uh, look after her. And Chantal, the way you honor your man, honestly, this is a, a miracle story. You guys are a miracle. You guys are beautiful, beautiful people. And I think back when we met, uh, sorry, I apologize, but uh, I think back we met at a bride and then it was like awkward and we didn't really know each other. It was like, hey, we should play golf sometime. And, and just to think that now, a couple of years later, we like knitted together as family and not in some trivial way, but because you've experienced God here. I'm like, wow, Jesus, do it again and again. So proud of you guys. Afterwards, can we pray for you afterwards? And we'd love to get some people around you just to bless you and uh, love on you. Good people. Just uh, really do love you. Apologize about that, everyone. Back to the scriptures. This morning, I want to work through this amazing text, and I have been so undone by it this week, and I, I, I'm so excited about it. And, and I want to just work through it in three simple ways, if you, if, you, if you will. This is called, the text is often prefaced as a supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. So I want to give us three lenses for how we can view Christ being supreme over our lives. And, and, and I really wanted to fill our hearts. Our, our, as I said, I want us to see Christ, and then I want us to savor Him, because as we see Him, I hope our hearts are stirred to worship Jesus, to love Him and give our lives for Him. And then ultimately from that place, I will say, God, wh- what else can we do to serve you? And that's my agenda this morning. So number one, it's on the screen behind me, is that as we read this text, we find that Christ is supreme over all creation. And I'm not doing anything fancy this morning. I'm just working through it verse by verse very quickly. But it starts off by saying this. Jesus is the, invis- is the visible image of the invisible God. <coughs> I want to ask you the question. Uh, how do you know if people say, you know, you go to a nursery school, you go to a kid's class, and, or yeah, if you've had children, they ask, Dad, what does, what does God look like? It's one of those esoteric questions. You're like, whoa, uh, I don't know, you know, it's like, do we draw a caricature of a man with a big beard or, or say no one has ever seen God? Well, actually, Scripture is very clear. If you want to know what God looks like, it says, look at Jesus. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He has made the Father, He came to show us the Father. And I think this is so key because actually years ago I went to uh, preach in a church in Hot Bay and I preached there and and after the service an an older lady came up to me and said, I heard you mention your name, by any chance are you Rowan Phillips' son? And I'm like, yes, that's my dad, that's that's amazing. (coughs) To which she responded, she said, "It's, it's amazing. She says, I went to university with your dad 40 years ago. And she said, at the UCT here, and she said, it's just four years, we, we were friends in the same friendship circles, and, and she said, I, I knew him, and, and as soon as, I haven't heard from him, I haven't kept in touch, I haven't even been on Facebook, but she says, as soon as you said that name, Gabriel Phillips, I heard that Phillips, my, name, my head went back to that, yeah, Phillips, and I looked at you, and as I watched you preach, she said, it was so uncanny, it was like I was watching Rowan Phillips as a 21-year-old. She said, I've got no idea of what your dad looks like now, but when I saw you, just your mannerisms, the way you speak, it's as if you look like you're your dad. And, and, and I thank goodness that I got through my awkward teenage phases. So that wasn't like, I didn't feel that it was an insult. I really think my dad's cool. So I was like, that's a great compliment. Thank you. But it was a profound thing because as I realized as I left that moment, I, I, I'm, I'm a guy who preaches. So always I'm hearing sermon illustrations. But in that moment, I just felt, as Jesus says, Jesus says to disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. Jesus has the same mannerisms, the same way he engages with people. is the same way the father engages with us. Because I think we, sometimes in Christianity, we've almost separated. We give God the Father like this bad rap, as if he's the angry one. 
And Jesus is the cool hippie guy that comes to a pe- Hey, don't worry. Let me, don't mind my dad. He's just had a bad day. Let me, uh, let me translate him for you. No, no. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus at the well, loving the woman who had caught, been caught in adultery. Jesus who, who is sitting with, with children and laughing with kids. Jesus who's calling Zacchaeus down saying, I'm coming to your house to eat. That is what the Father is like. Jesus puts a face on God. If you're wanting to know what does God the Father look like, look to Jesus. Let's move on for time's sake. It says that he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. So this is language that's linking us back to Genesis and saying that actually in the beginning, Jesus was. We know that if you read John chapter 1, we know that the word was with God. And the word is language speaking about Jesus. So at the very beginning, we find that God, before all creation, Jesus stands there above creation. And the Bible tells us here in this passage, it says that all things were created for him and through him and by him. Jesus is there standing, not just, he doesn't come into the story later as an afterthought, thousands of years later to try and redeem mankind. That actually he was always in the plan that he was actually there before the beginning of time. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in perfect community and creation came to life out of them. And the scripture says that by the word of God was everything created. Now, this is so huge. And maybe just a few are not uh, this way inclined. You can tune out for the next five minutes. But I really want to help us understand, for the one and two of us that need to understand this, that this understanding that Jesus pre-exists creation deals a death blow to all the other ways of thought, humanistic thought of mankind, and all the isms science can throw at us. So if you look at the screen very quickly, next slide now. Bam, there. I love it, Sarah. Beautiful job. There's, there's different ways of thought. So now, if this doesn't float your boat, don't worry. But just understand that dualism is a type of thinking that enters our way. That we think that there's, or there's this massive cosmic battle between good and evil. Satan and God. Who's going to win it out, you know? Well, actually, understanding that Jesus pre-exists all of creation, that actually Satan himself is a created being, tells us that dualism is blown out the water. From, the, from one line, Jesus pre-exists Satan. Dualism can't be a thought if you want to go on. Polytheism, which just says there's lots of other gods. Look, Jesus is an option in this thing. There's many ways and all ways lead to Rome. The, from the very first line of the Bible saying, in the beginning, God tells us at the beginning there was no other gods. There was no other existence, no other spiritual forces present. In the beginning was God. Polytheism is not an option anymore from this one line. Existentialism, which is the idea that man wills and determines his own reality. As a man thinks in his head, he is. Well, unfortunately, that is also thrown out because God, uh, what's it called, that the truth is found actually not in creation, it's found in the creator, because we, there's a created order that we were not created, we were not there in coexistence with God, and we found our way, that, no, no, he's put, called us into being, and pantheism, which is this idea of that all of creation, all the universe becomes God, like the tree is God, and, and it's, it's, it's very popular in our, the talk show hosts of our day. I want to tell you that that's blown out the water from page one because God isn't everything and everything isn't God, no matter what Avatar tells us. You might have watched Avatar a few, I'm a little bit few years too late in this story, but I want to tell you that from this one line, we're told all these isms are blown out the water because in the beginning was God. He looked around, there was no one else except the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all creation leapt to life from Him. And this is huge. Because as we keep reading in verse 17, it tells us Jesus is above it all. He's the creator, but he's also the sustainer of life. Verse 17 puts it, says he holds it all together. You know what that means is that it, it's not like God just, Jesus um, didn't 
created everything and then back away. You're on your own. Here's, here it is. Here's the game. Set it up. Call me when you got done and we'll wrap this whole thing up. No, no. The Bible tells us, says that he created it all by the word of his mouth. All creation obeyed and leapt into existence by Jesus Christ with one word. Let there be light. At that word, creation existed. And it says this is amazing. He sustains it all by the power of his word. That this whole thing, that ga- the galaxies orbiting around the sun, that everything, this, the gravity, the sense of gravity that's in existence, everything holds together because Jesus is holding it together. This is the script, what Scripture tells us. And what is so profound of this is that if Jesus removed his breath from us right now, if he, just, if he said, actually, I'm done with humanity and withdrew his spirit, his life right now, it will almost be like Thanos clicking his fingers. For those of you who've watched Avengers. It's no spoiler, that's from the other movie, guys. Come on. No spoilers this morning, but it'll almost be like as if all creation ceases to exist. If Jesus removed his spirit right now, we'll all drop down dead. Bam. We're not existing on our own accord. He wills it and he sustains all of life by the word of his mouth. And this is the incredible understanding because right now, if you're feeling like your world is falling apart, if you're feeling like your world is spinning and you're trying to make sense of this relationship, you're trying to make sense, and your world is a bit chaos, you're saying, I just wish I could have more time to rest, or I wish I had some more finances to make this thing work. I want to tell you the old age song that has been sung almost time immortal, it still rings true. He's still got the whole world in his hands. Jesus has not been unseated. He's not been dethroned. He's still supreme above creation, over all creation. He's supreme above it, and he still holds everything together by the word of his power. That's the powerful understanding of this gospel. And you can have confidence. I said it earlier, but you have confidence in this because Paul is not writing this from some spa and retreat in the mountains, sipping on pina coladas. I don't know if those go together, mountains, and probably beach, should have gone with that one. But he's writing, this man is not writing this stuff from some new mystic, new age, far removed place. No, he's writing this from a cold, hard cell in prison. And that is what's sustaining him in that place. Because he knows, you can put me in prison, but he's still supreme over creation. And he's holding this all together. Second point this morning is not is he just supreme over all creation. He's supreme over all authority. You can just keep reading. It says that, that he created all things, the things that we, see, we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And he existed before any of it, and he holds it all together. You know what I love about this? Is that this text was written in AD 62. AD 63, a year later, was when the great persecution of the church under Nero broke out. So AD 62, the Christians, the new Christians who are like, hey, just Jesus is cool in, in, in this place and in Ephesus and all these other churches that are thriving, they're in this type of prosperity and a bit of like an excitement because, you know what, we can have Jesus, why don't we add a few other things to it because, you know, we accept it, we tolerate it. Sure, Paul's in prison, but he's an anomaly because he's always just shooting off his mouth and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, you know, things are going to be okay. But a year later, the story will be changed. They were a year away from everything the, the whole religious dynamic changing, the way they experienced culture and how culture greeted them. And actually, Paul's writing to the potential group of believers who potentially are a bit drunk on their own centrality and sense of importance in the story. We, we, Jesus is great, but we, we, let's have debates and we'll decide on who Jesus is to us. When Paul's saying, no, no, you don't decide who Jesus is to you, let me tell you who Jesus is to you. This is the fundamental line. And actually, why is he saying this? Because actually in a year's time, the Christianity, as they knew it, would have been turned on its head and they'll be start to be crushed by the might of Rome. 
these little outpo- these outposts of, of Christianity as Christians under Nero and the Caesars of the day were going to be used as entertainment for the Roman citizens. We've said these things many times before, but they would be covered in wax. This is true historical understanding of this time and era. Christians would be covered in wax, set alight, and be used amidst their screams, would be used to light up their dinner parties. Christians, these sort of Christians, a year's time, would be used as punchlines to jokes. They'll be stripped of possessions and away from families and ultimately would be filling arenas and coliseums to be eaten by the, uh, the lions to provide entertainment for the masses. This is the fate of the church that's coming. They don't know it just yet. But I want to tell you in that thing, that as, as the years after this year and the year would go on after year after year and the story of Christendom would become not one of popularity but one of pain and peril and danger, I can imagine them thinking, will this ever end? If you throw your mind back, imagine them coming and they're stripping you of possessions, at the very least, taking you away from your families for questioning and why are you saying this? Why are you, are you opposed to Caesar? What is going on? And then they, and they take you knowing, they take your cousins to Rome who's going to face the, the lions there, the threat of lions. How long is this persecution going to last? I can, I, I can sort of relate. Just across our border, for 37 years, Zimbabweans have said, how long was this going to last? Every election would come. Maybe this year will there be promise. But then there'll be this and there'll be abuse and there'll be power and there'll be people being pulled, hauled off to, for questioning. People will be pastors and people who will be speaking out against the government arrested. I, I, I don't want to paint a picture that's, uh, that's equivalent, but it's something tangible for us to understand that for 37 years they'll go to the poll and again, false dawn, false dawn, but again, there's another man who's going to crush them again. And that's the sort of the reality that these Christians were facing in years to come. But I want to tell you what's so profound is Paul is, in a sense, preparing them for what is ahead. He probably didn't know what was going to come. But in a sense, telling them, actually, Jesus is still supreme over all authority. No matter which authority comes and tries to crush you, which authority comes to pull you and subdue you and pull you away from this truth, I want to tell you there's a superior authority that still is in existence. And this is so profound. Why? Because now, years later, as we look back, almost with an unemotional attachment to these people, to these moments, these experiences, I'll tell you why we have almost no emotion to it. These were our Christian brothers and sisters who are going to be persecuted to within an inch of their life. Some of them would give their lives for it. It's because now, as we look back, Caesar, Rome, Nero, and the might of the Roman Empire is just a footnote in history. Just, it's a, just for scholars to debate. It's not no longer in existence. It's no longer a threat to our livelihood. Actually, now, if you go to Europe, you can have a tour of the Colosseum and play, I think, as little as 20 euros for some young student who's just come to university who's going to, Italian student who's going to talk you through uh, uh, the, the Roman Empire. And he'll give you, and you can have a narrated tour with some, you can choose the, the, the dialect of choice in your ears. And they can walk you through the ruins and tell you this is where this happens. And the might of Rome has been subdued and been lessened to just rubble and tourists into entertainment. Can I tell you what the amazing is that leaders have come and gone, leaders have come and gone, leaders have come and gone, and yet Jesus remains. Yet leaders have come and gone and tried to crush out the church, and yet the church is still gathering, the church is still in existence, the church is still moving forward. Why? Because Jesus is still supreme above all authority. This is so profound for us because actually we don't have to have anxiety about governments or political power. It's actually not the church's primary focus. Because in Psalm 2, it says this, why do the nations rage in vain? This is what God, God's speaking. He says, why do the nations rage in vain? It goes on and says, the one who sits in thrones laughs. 
So the nations, Trump, ISIS, uh, anger, you know, what, what's going to happen with elections? Are they, and they're cheating in elections. And what's happening up in, the, in, in, the, in North Africa? What's happening in these situ- different situations? Can I tell you, the one who sits enthroned laughs. Not uncaringly, not mockingly so, but because he says, why do they rage in vain when I am supreme over all? This is the confidence that we can have when we understand who Jesus is. And this is why it's so powerful for you and I here, not at a high level over there only, but here deep in our hearts, is I want to free us again and again. When I read these texts, I'm reminded, I'm not at the center of the story. Hallelujah. As my daughter says, hallelujah, God. Thank goodness that I'm not at the center of this thing. And here's the great, even better news. Neither is your boss. Neither is your doctor, neither is your spouse, neither is your kids. He is. What happens, why do we often spin out of control is because we give authority to somebody else in our lives to make our lives happy, to make our lives work. We give authority to somebody else. And I know it's all too real. I gave my daughter the first spanking she's ever received yesterday, and I felt terrible as I realized the terrible twos have arrived in full force. And I'm trying to make sense of this and going, God, why am I feeling so terrible about giving her a smack? Why? And if you want to talk about that afterwards, we can, do, we can talk about that. <laughs> but here's the thought, is that actually because sometimes too often I also put my own kids, my daughter's happiness and her well-being above, actually there's an authority here. Now I'm not saying anything else about other things. I'm just saying that actually when we understand that he holds all authority, it starts to lessen our grip on earthly things. Lessen our grip to try and make this thing work out for myself. And we say, actually, no, I trust you. This is the power because actually it ends up us surrendering control of out-of-control situations. Too many of us are trying to spin the plates of out-of-control situations and keep them happening when he says, hand them over to me. I'm supreme over authority. Let me say it this way, a quick story. And on another level, this is a political government level. There's another type of authority that exists as in, in the world, and the scripture makes it very clear that a couple of years, a few years ago, five, six years ago, I was sitting at home one evening, and two ladies were doing some counseling at our church. It was just that in the table view building, so the building was dark. And I get a phone call from them, and it was about 10, a. 10 p.m. I'm about to get in bed. They phone, I'm like, hey guys, how are you? They go, Gabe, can you come, please? I'm like, why? What's happening? They said, no, the girl we're counseling is starting to manifest a demon. They said, we don't know what to do. Can you come? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and at that moment, you know, take a deep gulp. You're like, what does that even mean? And uh, I don't know about you, but I want, if you wanting some theological exposition of what it means to manifest a demon, she was going all exorcist on them. Some theology for you. Um, <laughs> if you watch the movies. Anyway, that didn't go down as well as I thought. <laughs> it was, uh, that sort of situation. I remember driving there, and they're going, don't worry, Gabe is coming. He'll know what to do. Little did I know, I'm driving the car, like playing the loudest Hillsong song I can, going, oh, Jesus, I'm living for your name. And I'm like, please, Lord. And I remember getting there, the house, and I'm walking in up the stairs going, what am I going to do? Like, uh, do I, uh, yeah, I've watched those movies. What do I, what do, I do? The water thing. Like, what's going to happen in this moment? But I remember as I walked into a situation, and, and I don't want to make light of it because there's spiritual battles. This spiritual battles, but the incredible thing that brought me peace is actually I went and going, the enemy tried to say, hey, flip, if I'd known this was going to be happening, I could have fasted for four days before, then I would have been ready. Or if I, I'd actually been watching a series at home that night. That's my preparation for this moment. Uh, and it wasn't even a, a, a spiritual one. It wasn't the passion of the Christ or something like that. And I remember thinking, if only I'd known, I could have really been in the scriptures and wrestled with this, but being called, so I just had to come. But what calmed my heart, so I walked in, I was like, actually, thank goodness the authority is not needed in me. 
thank goodness that authority is not in the messenger, but the message. That actually, that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. Not only over political powers and Caesars and Nero's and, and Mugabe's and whatever's happening in the political field here in South Africa, but actually, he's got authority over the spiritual realm as well. And why I say this in this moment, that Jesus is Lord, can I tell you, I think that we, we have allowed the enemy a foothold often in our lives, and, and not because we've been playing Ouija boards or watching horror movies or listening to Nickelback backwards, <laughs> which is an aside is probably better to listen to it backwards and forwards, but anyway. But often, you know, we, we elevate the super spiritual to these moments, and yes, it's real. Yes, the enemy manifests in ways, but can I tell you, the enemy often has, life, has his hand in our lives because we've given him authority. We've opened doors. And what I mean by that, actually, spiritual warfare, actually at the very center of it, it's not doing rain dances. It's not beating your body. It's not actually coming and saying, I need to go do some courses on it. Those things are not evil things. But I want to tell you, spiritual warfare actually starts and ends with saying, are you allowing Jesus to complete lordship over your life? It comes down to the thing, because actually the question is, we, we know in Scripture, in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, it says, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Savior. And most of the Western church have been sold Jesus as Savior. Come to him, he'll forgive your sins. But they've forgotten that actually he wants to be Lord as well. He wants to forgive your sins, but he says, also, I want to give you a new way to walk, which is under my authority, which is all authority. Why would you want to be under any other authority but the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Because here the thing is, our spiritual lives are not in some neutral gear. They don't work in some limbo space. If you're not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, some other authority and power will come and take ownership. Not saying this to, to make us anything scary, but I want to say this in the understanding is that if you want to bring his, when you bring his lordship into your life, peace comes. I bring in this way, my uh, boast of it, because she, she's not here this morning, my mother-in-law had a whole bunch of texts that was outstanding for a long time that she was just keeping in the corner because she knew if she addresses that, it's a big thing to try and unravel. But as she was reading scripture, not told by anyone else, reading scripture came, said actually it's good to honor the government and pay your taxes. She was like, wow, that's, I actually didn't know that. Now, actually, because she became a Christ follower, she accepted Jesus as a savior. She read that and thought, actually, I can't say that Jesus, you're my savior and keep that thing unattended to. So she went and started to bring order and allow Jesus to be Lord over her taxes. So as she started to pay that, can I tell you what's happened in her life? Financial peace has come. It's actually, sometimes we will come for prayer. I need prayer. I need breakthrough. I need prayer. I need breakthrough. And Jesus says, just make me Lord. Just make me Lord in that area because there's authority there released. And this is understanding it with, that in our sexuality, make him Lord. Stop allowing other voices to allow what, I know, but they, they said this and I'm, no, just make him Lord. Allow him, peace will come, your emotions. And I want to say this, which authority will you give access to? Bon Jovi said it terribly years ago. He said, it's my life. And I think Christ, Christians have been saying that for year after year. It's my life. When I want to tell you, sir, ma'am, it's not your life. It's his. Allow him to you, Lord. If you, for the old, older folk amongst the Sinatra said, I did it my way. What, what a terrible indictment if you were saying that I did it my way. Do, do it his way. Do it his way. M maybe again for, for Tanaka, Kanye West said it more recently, we don't care. It's an anthem for the millennial generation saying, your authority, we don't care. I will tell you, well, I don't really care about your authority. I care about his authority. Allow that to take root in your heart because actually the Colossian church, what they were doing, there was not wicked sin amongst them. He's not dealing with some deep doctrinal heresies, but he was saying, actually, guys, you've got a foot in both camps. 
You're proclaiming Jesus, but you're allowing the world to dictate other things. And I've said this many, many times. Men in skinny jeans should not do the splits. And neither should Christians. That actually, we're not called to be living in two realms. We're called, and actually, this when we read this sort of thing, it should respond in us saying, Jesus, if you have supremacy over creation, and if you have supremacy over all authority, then I want to be under that authority. Because that's where power comes from. Finally, this morning, is not only is he supreme over the creation authority, supreme over all salvation. I love, the text starts off and says, in verse 15, the other translation says that Jesus was the firstborn from creation, meaning that all creation was birthed from him and for him and sustained from him and for him. Later on, in, uh, I think it's in, uh, in verse 18, it states that he's the firstborn from among the dead. Now, as I read it the last night, Fee asked me, what does that mean? So I'll explain it very quickly. Is that actually the writer is playing on saying he was the firstborn from creation, meaning that everything, all life, creation, life flew, uh, flowed out of Jesus. And when he says now later, he says, and now he's also firstborn among the dead, that Jesus, because he's been exalted and risen, all new creation life springs from him and is sustained by him. So just as creation was breathed into existence by the word of his mouth, they had, creation had no ability to partner in that. It was the word of mouth they had to obey. And in the essence of that, that, that creation has been sustained by the word of his power. Now all new creations, which is you and I, anybody who surrendered their life to Jesus, our, lives are, our new life is created by him and then sustained by him. He's the firstborn from among the dead, that you and I, though our lives were dead, broken, and battered, and bruised, he has called us to life because of his son. And this is amazing, as I kept reading this text, I want to say, what is God's disposition in all of this? He's supreme over all creation. He's supreme over all authority. He's, he, you know, the nations, he laughs at the nations raging in vain. What is his disposition? Well, we just keep reading. It says this in verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. I've underlined, I've circled, I've highlighted, I've starred, in all my Bibles, whenever I see the word pleased linked to God, I've made a massive note of that. Why? Because I think if we went out for coffee now, if I took all of you out one by one, went out for coffee and I sat down and I said, right now with your life, where you're at, what's happening with your, your, your situation, what would, you, what would be the one word you'd use of God, that God would use about your situation, your life right now? I, I would estimate that most of you would probably, most of us would probably say, probably disappointed. God's probably disappointed with me. Or he's frustrated with me. Or, or he's probably waiting for me to grow up. Or maybe he's even regretful, saying, I, I paid that for that. Ugh. I, I, I want to just say the question here is, I, uh, this morning I want us, the Colossians series is trying to remind us of truth. I, I want to put deep truth in us, that actually somebody's lying in the story. Either we are, or Scripture's lying about how God views you and I. Because Scripture could never be more clear. And Isaiah 53 says that it, was a, that it pleased the Father to crush His Son so that we could live. In Galatians 1, it tells us that He pleased Him to reveal the Son in us. Ephesians 1 says according, that we are chosen according to His great pleasure. I don't know what you understand when you see God, but His disposition when He looks at His church is not nervous. He's not anxious. He's not worried about external pressures that are coming in. He looks at His church with deep pleasure and rejoicing, knowing that actually that it was, uh, it was, it was according to His pleasure to dwell in Christ, to raise them from the dead. He has pleasure, and I've been reminded with a week's time, I'll be going, uh, I'll be going into labor uh, for the second time. M my wife will be, but I'm in, the, I'm in on this, one flesh. 
Uh, but I, I remember being in that theater as Olivia was born, and, and Fiona was, uh, it wasn't, one, it wasn't ro- rainbows and butterflies for her. She was sore, it was exposed, it was uncomfortable, it was just invasive. But I was having the time of my life. Let me tell you, I can tell you the feeling, the moments, this weird nervousness, the butterflies. I could not understand, even though this is natural, although millions of people, millions of millions of people have gone through this process. I was going through it. And this little girl who was so unknown to me, who I had no clue what she was going to look like. Uh, I did not know what color hair she would have. It's, it's red, by the way, just to let you know. Um, I had no clue, but I tell you, before, during, and after, I had such joy, extravagant joy and pleasure. I could not stop the tears. It was just tears were, stro- were streaming down my face. It was, I had Coldplay in the back of my head playing again and again. Uh, that song, Tears Streaming. That's, uh, anyway, keep going. Keep focused. Try and make your way through, Gab. But you know what? Uh, there's a word, because the word grace, one, in scriptures, the word grace is used, but it can become quite trite. But one of the translations to, uh, for the word grace is joyful surprise. And I think that's what the Father has done with every one of us. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Father is so full of joy and full of, of delight. And, and, he's, and he says, he takes the mess and the brokenness, the broken people, and he brings them to life. There's such joy and celebration in heaven. I want to keep going because the scripture tells us that actually not only is he the pleasure over new creation, you and I responding, it says that because of this, he's reconciling all things to himself. Now, this is huge. When he says reconciling all things, again, he's reminding, yes, you, it's wonderful. He loves you. He delights in you. But you're still not the center. Don't worry. It's actually much more cosmic than you think it is. It's not just giving you a little bit of an existence here and now. He says he, because of Jesus, he's reconciling everything into himself. That he's taken broken creation that's gone into uh, a rebellion along with humanity. is being brought back under the authority of God. And one day will rejoice. Isaiah tells us this is in the end days. It says that in the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom. Yeah, he said there'll be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. It even goes on and says the lion and the lamb will lie down in peace together. All the friction of creation will be subdued because of Jesus. He has amazing, in the end, I've imagined this. The psalmist says this, and it's one of those cheesy 90s songs, but it's so real because the psalmist says that the trees of the field will clap their hands. If you're from the 90s, you would have clapped in. But obviously, you're all being really respectful, so it's fine. But in my head, when Jesus comes in all his glory, all creation will recognize that we came from him and we were made for him. All creation. The trees will rip their roots out and rejoice and will clap and and throw themselves out. The rocks will cry out. All creation will see and save him and say, that's him. We came from him. We were made for him to delight in him. All the stars will rejoice and bow down and worship. Romans 8 says, all creation waits and groans. It's an eager anticipation for sons and daughters to be revealed. An eager anticipation for Jesus to come back. That day is coming. But here's the great thing. I think so often maybe we're all aware that, yeah, with new salvation, that's wonderful. And one day in the culmination of everything, there'll be great joy. But what about right now, Gabe? My life is a mess. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because as I read this text, I love how it finishes this. It says this. It says, in verse 21, after giving this huge thing, he's supreme in creation. He's supreme over authority. He's supreme over all salvation and everything will come together in him. It says, and this includes you. He just says, and this includes you. I love how the the writer, it's it's like this incredible writing. And he says, actually, you once were far away. You once were enemies. You once were separated. 
But lean in. This includes you. He's pulling this whole thing together. And I want to end with this this morning. I think many of us come here today, and this is, you hear this preaching, we sing it, but maybe you're here and you've counted yourself out. You've counted yourself out and down. You're feeling uh, that actually my life, where, where am I at the moment? And I uh, heard an illustration recently that just really helped and bring some clarity to this understanding. And I want you to imagine a boxing ring with me. And there's, you, you're there and you're in the ring and picture yourself in the ring there and you're going up against the enemy and you've got some fire in you. You know, hey, I've been saved. God has done great things in my life. And you, you're going in a few rings and you have a few issues with the enemies come at you via your boss, via your situation, via your workspace, via your finances, via health. And it's taken a few blows there. And after a while, you just you feel your, your, your sin, your, your habits. And you, after a while, you just get that one blow and just like and you fall down to the ground on the canvas, flat, and you're like, ah. I don't think I can get up. That one thing I'm going through, there's, yeah, there's other things were, were, were tough, but this one is just, this one's hit me too hard. And, 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 the, and the devil's there and he's so pumped up because he's got you on the mat and then you're lying there almost lifeless on the floor saying, I'm done, I'm done. And the devil gets up and he's, he's strutting around the, the ring and he's like, come on! And the crowd, the crowd are there trying to cheer on you and they're trying to say, come on, get up, get up! But he's there flexing and he gets up on the ropes and he's just counting out. And then the ref comes up there and the ref starts to count the body, the person on the floor, count you out and says, one, two. And if you know boxing, it won't, they have, the ref has to count to ten. And then once that happened, they'll be counted out. They would have lost the fight. And with every count, three, four, five, six, this crowd is getting quieter and quieter and quieter, more disheartened. And the enemy devil is getting so much more louder and whooping. And he's singing Lady Gaga songs at the top of his voice. That's just an aside. And, and, and he's going for it. And he's just getting stuck in. And, and he's like, come on, seven, eight, nine. And there's like pause. He and you hear ten. And there's a deathly silence. And then you see the devil go, yes, we've destroyed him. Yes! And as the devil's walking around and about to take his title, the, the horror of horror for the devil hears the referee go, 11, 12, 13. And the devil, no, 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 what are you doing to the ref? No, 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 referee, ref, ref, ref. And as the ref turns around, he sees that the referee's name is Grace. And, the, and he says to the ref, this is not fair. The ref says, neither am I. He says, 14. 15, 16, I want to say that the, the, the grace will keep on counting until you get back up. Because he has created, he's put his life in you. He's called you into existence and he says, I will sustain you, I'll hold you. Yeah, but you don't know what's hit me down. Grace is going to keep counting. I want to tell you, you'll get 20, 21. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Gabe, I have done this game for so long, but I keep falling and keep falling. Grace is still counting. 413. 414, and he's calling you and saying, I will lift you. I will walk with you. Grace keeps counting when we think we have been counted out. I want to tell you, he is supreme in your salvation, and I want to say Jesus will have the final say in your life. He is supreme over creation. He's supreme over all authorities. He's supreme over all salvation. No one else will have the final say in your life except him. Let me tell you, as we land this morning, there's a statement that we say, and it quite seems like it flows off our mouth easy. Jesus is Lord. Now, I want to tell you where that phrase first originated. The first time we start to see it in Scripture, 
is actually, it's in this era, AD 62, 63, 64, we start to see it start to rise up amongst the apostles and the early Christians. And it wasn't stated with loud bravado in church uh, gatherings. It wasn't in stadiums going, Jesus is Lord, let's raise a banner over our nation and declare that this is a Christian nation. No, no. The, the phrase Jesus is Lord was whispered in subversive secret. Why? Because the phrase of the day was Caesar is Lord. And by them saying Jesus was Lord, they were ripping off that phrase and saying, we know that he's king, but we know there's a bigger king. So when they would gather, what would mark the believers as they met in secret and met in fear that actually the enemy could be within them and listening, they would, when they greet each other in those day and age, the people, Roman citizens would greet each other and say, Caesar is Lord. They would greet each other and go, Jesus is Lord. Why? It meant their whole lives had different priorities. Their whole lives had different authority. Their whole lives operated on different currency. And I want to say today, this welcome to the most subversive secret that I can give you. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And actually, He is Lord, but will you make Him Lord of your life? And if you want to know if He is Lord of your life, there's a, a phrase that's been in Christendom for years. It's, it's so cheesy, but it's been helpful. Is that if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. And so often, I always think, if you think about your life, and you say, there's one area in my life that I, I need to bring under the Lordship of Jesus, then I say, actually, look to Him again, get a revelation of Him, and bring order. Bring it in, bring it in. Say, Jesus, you're Lord of it. So if you want to know, is Jesus Lord of my life? We're on a journey. We're not disqualified. He's got grace is helping us, but actually, we've got authority because He has got all authority to bring things in order. So I want to land by praying for us this morning and filling our hearts with faith about who Jesus is. Because when we get this, can I tell you, our marriages, our parenting, our workspace, our, our way we approach government, the way we live our lives, whether in fear or in faith, everything changes because Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. This, this morning as we gather, and there's almost like an airy silence just fills the room here. If you, are, if you are here this morning, you're saying, actually, my heart has been stirred, but I want to make Jesus Lord. Not just an addendum, not just a, a hobby, not just something on the side, not just a weekend habit, but I want Him to be Lord of my life because I, I feel I need to bring peace into areas of my life. I need to bring order. I need to bow my knee before Him. In certain areas of my life, I'm the first one responding. If that's you, I just love you just to, in any way, lift your hands to him, open your hands to him. This is a, a subversive moment as we take back what the enemy has stolen. This is subversive Christianity by declaring Jesus is Lord. Father, as men and women respond to you in their own way, I thank you, Father God. It's not about external response, but it's about internal bowing our knee to you. I thank you, Father God, that there'll be as people bow their knee to Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that you would bring peace in sexuality. You would bring peace in finances. You would bring peace in emotions. You would bring peace in relationships. You would settle fears as they bow their knee to you in different areas. I thank you, Father God. I declare with my family here this morning that Jesus is Lord. Can we, under your breath, just as they would have done in secret, just whisper to yourself, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He has the final authority, the final say. 
And as I'm praying, if you're here today, and as I told that story of illustration about the boxing ring, and you feel like you have been battered and bruised to the ground, and you needing the grace of Jesus Christ to come and call you up again, and you needing the voice of the Father, do you want him to hear him still counting and saying, I have not counted you out. If that's you, I'd love you to give me a wave. Every eye is closed, but just give me a wave so I can pray for you. If you felt at the end of your tether, but you're saying today I need the grace of Jesus to invade my life. If that's you, wave to me. Cool, cool. Is there anyone else? Cool. Is there anyone else? It's helpful for me to pray. Father, I pray for these three people. I pray right now, God, your grace is not a good idea. It's not a good theology. It's not something to be studied. It's been something to be experienced. So I thank you right now, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, a grace that is not weak, a grace that is supreme in authority, a grace that is supreme over all creation, the supreme over all salvation. God, you preside. You're the referee that is unfair. I think you walk into those situations and you declare, I have not stopped counting. And I thank you, God, give our hearts faith to respond to your voice. I pray right now, silence the voice of the enemy that's counted us out. Lord, your voice ring true. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and ongoingly until we rise and walk in who you've called us to be. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.